In just a few moments, we'll be reading together from the early portion of Proverbs chapter 3, if you'd like to turn there with me. But before we read together, I'd like to say just a word or two about uh, the events of today. Uh, we enjoyed a good lunch together, as was mentioned in the announcements, uh, but uh, there is more to it than just that. This was the first luncheon we had together as a congregation uh, where everybody uh, participated. Uh, those of us from 10th who came over and joined with you to begin the Midtown Church, uh, we enjoyed being hosted to a dinner uh, early on. And uh, that was nice. We enjoyed going first. We realized that was a one-time only proposition. Uh, but uh, that being said, uh, a lot of things that we hoped would happen uh, have begun happening. Uh, I saw people today from what used to be both congregations working shoulder to shoulder, side by side, both in the kitchen and outside the kitchen, as if they'd always been working that way. And I remember saying uh, early, early on that it would be nice if in a half year or a year or so, somebody could come in and not even know that uh, there used to be two congregations. But I think we have gone ahead of schedule on that because it seems as, as if we're already there. And I really do appreciate that. It's good to see. And uh, all I can say about that is just uh, let's keep it up. Let's uh, keep it up. And uh, as Don mentioned the food was good too. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Now, I'm sure you've realized in your past study of this wonderful book of Proverbs that uh, subjects are far and wide ranging and uh, the subject matter is somewhat eclectic from chapter to chapter and either uh, also throughout the chapters themselves the subjects change a lot. But all of these passages in Proverbs, uh, bits of good uh, advice, as it were, from heaven about how to lead and live a good, proper, prudent, and productive life are based upon some principles that uh, the book starts out with. You might remember in chapter 1 uh, when the wise man says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's the foundation to all of it, having a proper respect and reverence, submission to the God of heaven. But if you want to know what that means, uh, to fear, respect, submit to God, the passage we just read uh, puts it in clearer fashion. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. 
And that means you don't lean upon your own understanding. Uh, that means you're not wise in your own eyes. If you trust completely in the Lord and what he has to say and how he directs your life by his word, if you do that, well, yes, of course, you've got the best of life past this one. Uh, we understand, we appreciate our citizenship is in heaven, not on earth. But also we have the best possible life while here. You want to get along with people? Listen to God. You want to have friends? Listen to God. You want to be healthy and productive and, and stable and a person of peace and calm and contentment? Well, listen to God. And if you want the lack of all of those things, or even the opposite of all those things, all you have to do, all any of us have to do, is just refuse to listen to what God has to say and instead follow the dictates of our own heart or follow our own understanding of things. And so for just a very few moments this evening, I'd like to talk with you about why it's never a good idea to lean upon our own understanding. And uh, if you've noticed, uh, the, the uh, information sheet for the day titles this lesson, A Painful Admission uh, by Dalton Key. And uh, you might be expecting something more personal than what I'm about to share with you. I don't have any painful admission to make except to say, mine is the same as yours. The painful admission is we simply cannot figure this thing out by ourselves. Uh, we're in too deep. Life is too tough. Uh, questions are too, too hard to answer. Problems are too difficult to solve. We cannot figure life out by ourselves. We need the help of God's direction, his instruction, his word. And submitting to what God has to say makes all the difference. And why is it then we can't lean upon our own understanding? Well, long story short, it's because God is, God is omniscient and we're not. If you really want to boil it down to the basic, barest essentials, there it is. God is omniscient and we're not. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omnipresent in the sense that his presence, not just his knowledge, permeates his entire universe. And he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Now, you might think that you are all-knowing, or you might think you're married to somebody who's all-knowing. You may have a friend that thinks he's all-knowing, but just uh, keep in mind, only God is truly omniscient. Our understanding understands a lot less than we think it does. I think it was Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, who remarked about the fact that what gets us in trouble so often is not those things we don't know. It's those things that we are absolutely sure of that aren't so. Uh, many of us believe we know some things we just don't know. We insist upon being right when we aren't right. God is. God knows. And we don't in, I think, three large areas. First of all, there's the matter of time. God sees everything from the perspective of 
eternity. And uh, I've struggled with this of late, and by of late I mean the last 15, 20 years, uh, figuring out exactly what eternity is compared to time. I've got time figured out in the sense I know what it is. The clock is time. The calendar is time. Uh, the face in the mirror you see looking back at you, that's time. I know what time is. What's eternity? And I used to think eternity was like the last verse of Amazing Grace. We've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's grace than when we first begun. And there in that verse you've got time and years and days. I'm not sure, though, from the way the Bible uses the term, we're talking the same language. That's insisting and inserting time as a part of eternity. Eternity is not time, it is apart from time. It is not just time without end, I don't believe, it's a timelessness. And uh, you try to explain that to yourself. Uh, you're ahead of me. Because we can't contemplate, comprehend anything but time. Something has to have a beginning and an ending. Something starts and it goes forward and finally it concludes. Time is linear. That's the way time is. You've got birth and life and death. You've got cause and effect. All of that based upon some basic principles that keep us, keep us tethered to this realm. Time. God lives outside of that. And as it were, looks into that and works within that for our benefit. Now, I may be altogether wrong about this understanding, but I know this. Because of God's vantage point, time-wise, he knows a lot more than we do. In this very book, and in Ecclesiastes, the ideas are there, and Ecclesiastes is verbatim. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Why? God knows the beginning before the, the end before the beginning. How is that? I don't know. Is it because he knows the future or he sees it all at one time? I'm not certain. But I do know this. We only know what we see now. Remember faintly and sometimes incorrectly what happened in the past and have no idea what the future holds. That's a limited eyesight there. God sees it all from beginning to end as if all were the same. And those decisions he makes respecting us and societies and nations and even the scheme of redemption, the coming of his son, which came in the fullness of time from our perspective, all of this God know so much more about than we ever can or will. And so it's always best for us to, to acquiesce to God's omniscience with respect to time and admit the fact we just don't have the full picture. Ever have something that has happened to you that over time worked out that you didn't see happening up front? We've talked a whole lot as 
congregations about our merger that happened a few months ago and how this has worked out in a way none of us saw, and that's true. Nobody from either side ever saw this happening six months before, much less a year, two years, five years ahead of this. Did God? Well, you better believe he did. Uh, did uh, he see things that we couldn't, didn't see? Absolutely he did. And the Bible gives us stories that back this up as well as just ours. But moving on second, beyond just the scope of time, there is the realm of, of big picture, small picture perspective. We tend to see just the time we're living and the moment we're living through, and also we only see the little area we affect and affects us, whereas God sees the whole picture, uh, the tapestry or puzzle or whatever you want to use by way of an imagery. He sees it all at one time. It's almost as if God, and this is a rough and rude and crude uh, analogy but it's as if God is playing three-dimensional chess and we aren't even close to checkers yet he knows moves ahead of time he knows how this affects not just right here but all over in the ripple effect the dominoes falling of time and then third our understanding is limited by our 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 bias our perspective, our, our prejudices sometimes. Uh, we don't see the truth of many things because we don't want to see them. Uh, our minds are made up before we consider the whole matter. Uh, we know what ought to happen because that's the way we think it ought to happen. And we're so tied into that, so embroiled with the idea of, of seeing things just from our own limited, narrow, sometimes selfish perspective, we don't see the larger picture of how things affect other people. Now, I mention all of this because I, for just a, a few moments as we close this evening, I'd like for us to consider a, a wonderful Bible story where all of this plays out. It, uh, it represents the last 14 chapters of the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis is a book of 50 chapters beginning at chapter 37. You start reading about the story that continues all the way to the end of that first book. It's the story of Joseph. And Joseph is one of the 12 sons of Jacob. He's very important because his family is very important. They're the ones to whom God has made a promise through Abraham their father that uh, through their nations, all the nations would be blessed. By the seed of Abraham, all families of the earth would one day be blessed. And their, their progeny would expand like the sands of the seashore or the stars of the heaven in number. And all of this was promised to Abram and Sarai when they were close to a hundred or at the point. But now, finally... Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah have Isaac and, and then Isaac has Jacob and Jacob has the 12 sons. 
And of those 12 sons come the 12 tribes of Israel and all the rest of Old Testament history. But before things get started, the nation begins, the family starts to really grow, Joseph, one of the younger sons of Jacob, he is in a position of favor with his father because of matters we haven't got time to go into. His brothers are resentful of him and jealous of his position with the father, and so they want to kill him, but finally they decide instead by compromise with Reuben, the older brother, to just sell him into slavery, and they do. And so Joseph is sold into slavery and taken into Egypt as a slave. His father, until not long before the father passes away, Jacob, all that while believes that Joseph has been killed by a wild animal. That's what the sons lead the father to believe. But here's Joseph in a foreign land, long way away from his homeland, from his father, from his brothers, from his family, from everything he's ever known. A young man living as a slave in this foreign land, seemingly in a place where God has forgotten about him and, and his whole life has nothing but bad ahead. And he has nothing to do but just sit and whine and complain and mope. But no, he makes the best of every situation he's in. And you know the story. You've been here before. You realize that every move he makes, he, like cream, rises to the top. But also, uh, kind of like Murphy's Law, uh, everything bad that can happen happens against him. But finally, you know the rest of the story. How that because he is in the place he's in and finally rises to the king's, the pharaoh's favor, and has control over the grain that's given out during these lean times that uh, Joseph has seen in the dream and prepared the nation, the Pharaoh, for. Because of his position, the very family who has lost him, the brothers who sold him, the father who has believed for all these years that he's dead, they now are able to come to Egypt and be saved from the drought and the famine and the death ahead of them because of the decisions and leadership and the position of Joseph now. Now there's a lot there in those chapters that I, because of time, went over pretty quickly because we find ourselves now in chapter 50 of Genesis where his family's been brought to Egypt and they're being treated as guests for a while as you go forward, they become slaves when another king arrives or that, that knows not Joseph. And, and uh, they come in number to perhaps a couple of million. And they are slaves in Egypt and have to be released by God's power by Moses. But that's another story for a different time. But here they are in Egypt as guests, as it were, saved from the death of the famine they left behind. Now they are in Egypt with Joseph and the brothers must be having this uneasy feeling knowing that, uh, well, as long as their father is alive, as long as Jacob lives, they're, they're probably safe. But if Jacob ever dies, uh, you better believe that Joseph's going to get his revenge 
on what they've done against him all those years earlier. Because after all, wouldn't anybody get their revenge on something like that done against them? And so the time comes when, when, when Jacob finally dies. And as you might suspect, the brothers are terrified of, of what Joseph's going to do because Joseph has all the power. Pharaoh's given him tremendous power. Uh, they are just nobodies in a foreign land. And Joseph brings them to him and, and says something wonderful respecting the, the attitude he has, but also understanding the position perspective that God has always shown. Uh, this is the 50th chapter of Genesis in verse 20 when, when Joseph tells his brothers, as for you, as for you, you've meant it as evil against me. But God meant it for good that he might save much people alive. Well, when we know the whole story, we say, well, of course. We've been reading this whole story all the way through. We can see this playing out. It's a wonderful story of God's providence of God's redemption, of God's grace. Of course we can see that. But if you were living through it at the time, it would have taken some real understanding and, and humility to see it that way. Here, Joseph, even though you're in an exalted place in Egypt, that's not your home. You've had your life taken away. Your, your best years of your life have been stripped from you. Your family's been stripped from you. Your father's been taken away from you. And so, yes, uh, you meant it as evil against me, he says. But then has the realization, God meant it for good. Because, you see, God had an understanding of the time of things. He had an understanding of of the scope of the large picture of saving God's people through which the Messiah would one day come or the lone story of one young boy. That's the small picture. The larger picture is the family, the nation, the Messiah, our salvation. That's the big picture. And also, Joseph realizes it's not about him. His perspective of understanding about just what matters for him, it didn't matter in the larger picture. Uh, we didn't talk about how he was lied about by Potiphar's wife. And because of that, he ended up in prison in Egypt. Or how even there he rose to the top and told the dreams of the baker and the butler. Uh, was told by uh, the butler when he was turns to the king's service to remember Joseph, but for two years doesn't and forgets what happened to get him out of... No, he didn't remember any of that. All of these times it'd be easy for Joseph to say, uh, thinking only about himself and his small picture of selfishness, uh, God's forgotten about me. Well, God hadn't. God was using him and using that situation for the good of all of us. 
because Christ came of Judah, one of the sons of Jacob, a family that was saved by Joseph. That story brought about the Messiah that saved you and saves me. When Joseph said God meant it to save much people for good, he's talking about them and then, but he could have just as well been talking about us today. And so if you ever want a story in the Bible that underscores and illustrates this idea of why we shouldn't lean upon our own understanding, it's the story of Joseph in Genesis chapters 37 through chapter 50. You put yourself in Joseph's position and you tell yourself, what would I be doing if I were just leaning on my own understanding? I'd be questioning every day, every moment. I'd be complaining all the way through. Joseph seems to be doing just the opposite. And so uh, from our situation, as small as it might seem, as individuals, uh, we need to realize that it's always best. If we want a good life, Perhaps a healthy life, a prosperous life, at the very least a, a life of peace and contentment. The best life we can possibly have here, it depends upon not leaning on our own understanding, but instead trusting the Lord with all of our hearts. Or, in other words, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. I trust all of us will do our best this year going forward to do what I hope we've already been doing. And that is leaning less upon our own understanding and more upon the truth, the grace of God's word. If you're here this evening and outside of Christ, don't leave in that condition. Obey the gospel even this evening. Or as a Christian, if you've fallen and need to come back, what better time than now to do that? If you'll come as together we stand and sing.